the householder, Viratata, requested Sutra. If whatever merit there is in the mind of enlightenment has formed, it would fill the entire world of the sky and then exceed it. For someone to fill the Buddha realms with jewels as numerous as the grains of Ganges and offer this to the protector of the world, far superior is the merit in offering of one who joining his or her hands reverently generates the altruistic mind of Bodhicitta. There is no limit to the merit in this. Compendium of the Teaching Sutra Bhagavan, Bodhisattvas should not learn many teachings. Bhagavan, if Bodhisattvas grasp and know one teaching, they will have all the Buddha's teachings in the palm of their hand. What is this one teaching? It is great compassion. Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise of the greatest part of enlightenment. Therefore, the Mahayana is the cause of all glories of self and others, the panacea that heals all pain, the great path traveled by all the masters, nourishment for all beings who see, hear, remember and come into contact with it, and that which has a great skill in means that engages you in others, and thereby achieves as byproduct your own welfare in its entirety. One who answers it ponders thus, O oh, what a wondrous! I have well found what I am seeking. Enter this supreme vehicle with all efforts you have. The Companion of the Perfections This supreme vehicle is realized by genuine wisdom from the omniscience of the great Buddha arose. He is like the eye of the world. His radiance like the rays of the rising sun. A guide to the Buddhist way of life. It is like the supreme gold-making elixir, for it transforms the unclean body we have taken into the priceless jewel of the Buddha form, and therefore firmly seize this awakening mind. I bow down to the body of anyone who has generated this separate jewel of the mind. I seek refuge in that source of joy who brings to happiness even those who harm him. It is the quintessential butter churned from the milk of the sublime teaching. Force of non-virtue is great and extremely intense. Beside the altruistic mind of enlightenment, what virtue can overcome it? Like the fire in the end of eon, it will instantly consume great negativities. All other virtues are like the plain tree. After bearing fruit, they perish. But this altruistic mind of enlightenment like a rich grounding tree, always bears fruit and never dies, but flourishes. Like a blind person finding a jewel in a heap of garbage, by coincidence the mind of Bodhicitta has arisen in me. Those who wish to destroy the many sources of their conditional existence, those who wish all beings to experience a multitude of joys, and those who wish to experience much happiness should never forsake the awakening mind. Just as a flash of lightning on a dark, cloudy night, for an instant brightly illuminates all, likewise in this world, through the might of Buddha, a wholesome thought rarely and briefly appears. <coughs> Acharya Chandrakirti's entry into the middle way. Compassion alone is seen as a seed of Buddha's excellent harvest, as water for its germination, and as the maturation in a state of enjoyment. Therefore, why did I upset? I praise compassion. A guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. Whatever joy the world has is derived from wishing for others. 
Whatever misery the world has is derived from wishing happiness for oneself. What need is there to say more? Look at the difference between these two. The charges act for their own welfare. The Buddha act for others' welfare. Do not be disheartened by this challenge. Although you are frightened upon hearing someone's name, now due to the power of familiarity, you would miss the person when he or she is away. Sentient beings and the Buddhas are similar. From them you achieve a Buddha's qualities. How is it that you do not respect sentient beings just as you respect the Buddhas? Atisha said, One who wishes to enter the door of the Mahayana teachings should develop through effort or eons the spirit of enlightenment which is like the sun that clears away darkness and a moon that quills the torment of heat. Okay, so I think today we have quite a lot to go. Uh, also last time I just tell you that um, if I were to explain Bodhicitta, you know, at the most it would take three days. But, you know, we did it so hurriedly and still we hardly finished. So, this is not that, that was not that true. Yeah, so anyway, let's continue from where we left uh, yesterday. We were talking about um, the two techniques to achieve, and, uh, uh, sorry, two techniques to generate bodhicitta. One, which is the the method of equalizing and exchanging oneself for others, this we did. And the second one is the method of method or the technique of the sevenfold cause-effect relationship in order to gener- generate bodhicitta. So the, the, se- the seven points, out of the seven points, the sixth one, so the former six are the causes, and the final one, which is bodhicitta, is the result that we already did. And then we were, uh, yesterday we were doing uh, the, the we done with the first cause, second, and third. First one is recording all sentient beings as having been one's mother, mothers in former lifetimes, one. And number two is recalling the kindness of these sentient beings while they were your kind mothers. And number three are uh, wanting to repay the kindness that you have received. So we did with the first two. Now look, um, after recalling, after trying to, rem- after trying to meditate, after meditating on this fact that everybody, everyone has been one's mother in one lifetime or the other, since the meditation you start from one's own, you know, uh, your mother of this life, and imagine you were just don't imagine yourself as the you know big guy, you know, imagine yourself as a very small kid like say one, one month old, two months old, or one year old, two years old. And particularly say uh, two years old, oh there, the stage, you know, you are in such a vulnerable stage where, you know, you are entirely dependent on your mother's care, parents' care, so particularly the mother. And then, uh, you think about that in this light, then after reflecting on, you know, as to how your mother of this life has been your mother in this life, not only this, then you think of, you know, the, the former lifetimes. You see that because in this life you have a connection as a mother and a child, it is a very clear indication that you two have a very strong connection, current connection, you know, in the former lifetimes. Without that, 
it is not possible that you know let alone relationship in, in the form of mother and child but even you know simply meeting two persons together even that is difficult without common connection which means that uh, you know so then if this is the case then what you mentioned about uh, two you know two people or two persons are come in contact in the form of the, the mother and the child relationship so which demands a tremendous incredible power of karmic connection so from this connection we can very clearly see that the present mother mother of this life you know has been you have been your mother you know many times in your former life times and then you try to move you know when you're quiet when you really get a bit of experience in the form of you know a uh, little bit of experience moving experience you know a sense of affection simply coming into you and then also actually i would say in terms of the actual practice it's not something simply confined to you know oh this person has been my mother has been my mother not just this i think in the true practice i think this should be the main focus of course this is the first step that we are doing the first step of the seven points and then here also the, the you know reflecting on the kindness of the mother can also come in here you know to make this oh this person has you know is my mother it will become specially strong otherwise you know say like you know oh this is my neighbor with whom you know you have been been neighbors for the last 5 years 10 years and you haven't really talked to each other what use they not not like that so this when you say this relationship the mother and the child it's blended with affection you know you also try to bring in this experience of the affection affection experience but the focus should be on you know this person having been one's mother this is a focus and the other one the kindness simply can come in the way to boost this experience of this person having been my mother and then not only in this life in the former life sense as well because the connection is a mother and a child of course demands a tremendous karmic connection so when you know when did you accumulate when did you to a two of you accumulated accumulate the karmic connection when not in this life this is the result that you're experiencing so surely it was it was you know accumulated in the former life times so naturally again the the person the mother of this life having been had been one's mother you know many times in the former lifetimes as well in the former as well and then you try to when you gain a deep sense of conviction oh this is true this is true this is true you know and then you simply switch this object you know to a neutral person neutral person you know to just say someone uh, to whom you really don't have any close close connection nor any hostile connection you know simply take a neutral person and then again think of the same thing or oh, look although the person is neutral but how can you really you know say that the person is always neutral to me in my former life times because say someone who has been your you know, who has been your enemy in the the earlier part of life but later on you know the person can be become the best of your friends it's so funny and a person who is the best of your friends in your earlier part of life becomes the worst of your enemy in the later part of your life so it's totally unreliable so the person who's neutral if you know a enemy can later become your you know a very close friend 
then why not a neutral person? You know? So, we see that, you know, being a neutral is not something which is so intrinsic, which is so defined, definite, but rather, you know, it's a matter of time. Again, we look at, you know, the, the same person, this person, neutral person. At least, you know, I'm seeing him. We come in contact, which means that even this neutral person has some connection with me. Common connection. Say, a person who is born in, you know, so from Buddhist perspective, I think this very much resonates what is what the science says nowadays, but science is unable to trace any life in other planets. So, you know, the simple thing is that they are unable to explore any beyond, anything beyond, you know. So whereas from Buddhist perspective, and uh, as said in science, you know, all numerous galaxies, all numerous, you know, the, the uh, world systems, uh, galaxies, and then the universe, and the universe is also infinite, it's not something finite. So from that perspective, we see that, you know, um, in your former lifetimes, again, you, you know, you were not Buddha. You are not just a highly realized Bodhisattva. Again, we are as ordinary as we are now. So this means that in a former license, again, we should have a mother. And the former, former, again, we should have a mother. You go on like this, endless, right? So from that, we see that there are countlessly great numbers of beings who have been your mother. And well, all these mothers, and yesterday we said, they are nowhere in some other galaxies. People around you, yeah, you know, those who have been your mothers, including this neutral person. And then, again, try to think, in the light of, you know, him or her as your mother. And then see if you can, de- if you can feel, develop a sense of connection with this person, you know, as a mother and a child. And then, if you're successful, then you move this to your enemy. You know, so Lucy is, now look, there's a smooth transition happening, not from your mother of this life to enemy. You know, it's so unacceptable to you, to our ordinary mind. Our mind will say, no, 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 you know. But if you do it from the mother of this life to a neutral person, then to an enemy, you know, then it's acceptable to your mind. It, there's a very smooth transition. So always, always, that the practice of Dharma is never to be done by, you know, someone imposing upon you. You're also imposing, someone else imposing. No, this should not be the way. It must be done in a very, you know, with a smooth transition where, you know, your mind simply flows in it so naturally and with great joy, with no, you know, pressure or stress. So the Buddha appeared on this earth to make us happy, to not to make us, you know, with extra burden. We all have, we already have great burden of samsara. And why do we need any extra burden, you know? And the Buddha didn't come on this earth to give us extra burden. So he has come here on this earth to alleviate, to lift the already existing burden in us. So, in other words, to put in a simple word, he simply came to make us happy. That's it. So, the teaching that, you know, he gave us, the practice that he instructed us to do, they must have this great, this great, great element of smooth transition and joy. Okay, so then, after this, then you think about how these have been so kind to you, you know, all these mothers, they've been so kind to you while you're a small baby. And in fact, in this relation, 
I can stop myself from uh, relating to uh, a very simple story, and not the exact story, a real thing that happened to me. Uh, you know, um, so what happened was I think that was in 2000. What? Uh, yes, 2000. Uh, 2004. I taught uh, students from Emory University, who came for who came to India to take one whole semester as a part of uh, Emory Abroad Studies program. And then, among them, there was one girl. And later on, I discovered that she had quite, you know, uh, not a healthy relationship with her mother and her parents. And then this, she didn't tell me anything about that to me, and others, somehow I came to know about that. And then later on, when we finished the semester, and then she was, you know, she was to leave in advance, and then I came to know that her mother was suffering, you know, so badly, and uh, you know, no hope of survival. And then she was go there, but then she felt a little bit reluctant. And somehow I could sense that, and I was just wondering why. She was quite, you know, um, planning to go in advance, and yet there there was a little bit of reluctance. And then, you know. She, I don't know why, uh, perhaps, you know, her interest in Buddhism, her interest in the Buddhist philosophy and these things, she also felt a little bit of trust in me. And then later on, she spoke everything to me, you know. She told me that, oh, look, I, had to go, I have to go there, but, you know, my relationship with my parents is just, you know, blank, it's just horrible, and so I don't know really how to do. And then, I told her, oh good, you know, you have already learned the bodhicitta extensively and you also learn about emptiness and you admire these two teachings so much and now look, you know, so this is what can happen but this is not what you should be worrying about, about. there is a way out, there is a way out and then I told her, look, if you think carefully just imagine, when you were two years old, when you were three years old, so there, the mother didn't say that, oh, you are treating, you are you know, behaving badly, I'm going to leave you, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. The mother really didn't say that, you know. So whatever you did, however horrible things you did, but the mother accepted you with great affection, with great affection. So this means that you need the mother's care, you need the mother's love when you were in a vulnerable state and that you received. Now the mother's job is over. Now it is your job to repay the kindness that you have received to the mother. It is your job. However, you know, the mother, maybe the mother doesn't talk to you, maybe, maybe the mother, you know, simply feels really uneasy looking at seeing you, but still, it is your job. Now your job is left. Mother's job is done, you know, to give you affection. Now your job is left to repay the affection. Say, you received enormous affection, caring, you know, your life has been, your life has been saved by the mother. And then imagine at one point when you become so, you know, self-sufficient, 
not only self-sufficient in a position to help everyone else at that at that point if your mother go insane you know and then say all horrible things to you bring embarrassment to you then what would you think you would simply say that oh my poor mother no she's suffering i wish how oh, i wish my mother is free from this you know insanity so instead of feeling you know look my mother is behaving so badly bringing embarrassment to me instead of saying that you will wish that oh look my mother is not to be blamed it is the insanity you know that occurred to her now i wish she's free from that that now look this should be our behavior it it is our job it is our job now the mother's job is done she did so well the indication of that is very simple we need no sophisticated logic you are alive this is the you know sufficient a reason to tell you evident to tell you that you received everything from your mother now it is your job to repay look so the mother may you know uh, because of all these hostile relationships because of your you know not obeying not respecting or not you know listening to your mother's things or doing some something so embarrassing and these things and then because of which the mother gradually feels sad and then you know feels distance still it is your job now your job is left if the mother is unable if the mother is not convinced if the mother is unhappy this means that you have not accomplished your job but the mother's job is done successfully so how do you do simply think about the kindness of mother kindness of mother when you imagine you were smoking and then see how much love you have received she has never abandoned even for a day and now you are ready to abandon her and not only abandon her you know even wanting to really you know uh, show anger hatred hostility it's unbelievable so just you know imagine if you are a sensible person you have received everything now there is nothing to complain to your mother but one thing left is to repay and then she started crying she started crying 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 you know and then she said yes i fully agree with what you said and interestingly she's you know she has a very strong affinity to the practice of dharma and then i told her now look but if you go there and then yeah she did tell me yeah she did uh, she did tell me this but if i go there my mother is not going to receive me you know and then i said don't worry don't worry first what you do is instead of going there in person write a letter write a letter simply say oh my dear beloved mother you know and then write that look so far in this life i have received tremendous everything from you now it is my job left to be done accomplished you know this is i fail to give you you know my affection to you i fail to repay you your kindness now i regret so much i deeply feel the you know kindness of you you know i cannot forget it on the basis of which you know my mind is now changed so please forgive me i asked her to write this letter and then she told me that it took 3 days to write the letter <laughs> and she succeeded and then i told her just send this letter as soon as as soon as possible and wait for a reply because if you go in person and say that now i'm changed totally please accept me you know i remember your kindness but still when you see in person the previous 
you know, the, the, the pain can easily be evoked, you know, so because of which, you know, you might not even get the opportunity to complete your sentence. <laughs> so as, and whereas when it comes in paper, you know, oh, the person is not there, I'll see what is, you know, her feeling. Oh, my dear, beloved mother, this she, you know, didn't used to say it. <laughs> or something, you know. And then, read. Oh, I have been receiving enormous kindness from you and these things. Now my job is left. Everything is my mistake. Accepting everything on her. Blaming everything on her herself. Not to me. What a change. And then, surprisingly, after a few days, you know, she came with a sparkling face, radiating face. And what he said is correct. I received a letter back. And she's so happy. You know, she's so eager to accept me. She wants me to be there as soon as possible. And then she left, you know. And then, look, in her final dissertation, dissertation the, the dissertation for this, you know, one semester, uh, I asked her to write a commentary, you know, through our discussion. We, she decided to write a commentary on the first chapter of Aranagarjuna's uh, Precious Garland. And then in the dedication, oh, it's so touching, so touching. I wish her mother has, you know, had read it, but her mother passed away, I don't know, very likely, you know, not seen that dedication, it's just so touching, you know, and they dedicated towards her mother, you know, so I received everything from you, my mother, you know, so now, it is simply on my part left to repay your kindness, but I failed to do it, and I wish that I can do it throughout my future lifetimes to, rep to, to repay the kindness that I've received from you. She wrote it in this, you know, the dedication is so touching. Yeah. So look, this is the success of the Bodhisattva, you know. Look, so now it's just a matter of, you know, uh, how we twist the mind. If we can simply twist the mind a little bit and go back in time when we were just small kids, now that we are, we are endowed with this sophisticated thought, sophisticated thinking, you know, and then simply twist our mind, go back in time a little bit, when we were just small kids, and then with this intelligence try to think of more, and then you see the kind of affection that you feel towards your mother, that kind of the caring, enormous care, enormous love that you receive from your mother. It's just incredible, incredible. So look, from that perspective, you know, from that light, Anyone who is sensible, you know, who is not insane, having experienced that, having received such an enormous amount of love, you know, sacrificing everything herself, giving that amount just for you, then when you have that in mind, then you get a feeling that even if your mother, you know, comes to kind of beat you or comes to, you know, abuse you, or you just love to receive it, you know, you don't feel it as abuse. You feel it as though, like, you know, you're, say, um, the, a small cat who has been so, so, for so many years unable to, you know, walk because of, uh, uh, because of sickness. And a mother one day seeing the, the child walking, you know, and doing all naughty things. She would be so happy, you know. <laughs> Instead of seeing the naughty things, she would simply see her, you know, child walking. Look. Whereas someone else would look at the naughty part, not the walking part. But the mother would look at the walking part. What a great achievement. 
What a great thing, you know. My child is now walking, you know. And she would not say, my child is naughty. My, she would say that my child is active. Others will describe not as active, but <laughs> not naughty. So what makes the difference? Affection. Look, so if you really feel affection, if you can really develop this sense of affection, then you can see everything in a different light, in the light of positivities, instead of negativities. Right? Okay, so, again you, you know, shift this to, to a neutral person, you know, recalling the kindness. Kindness. And then see, you know, just, I think this is really very important. So, you know, uh, say, you see someone who is so, through by, by your bare eyes, see a mother carrying the child. In what way they are benefiting, they are, you know, sacrificing themselves. Oh, actually, it's one day, you know, when I was in England, that was 2003, I was giving a, a series of um, a lectures, or, you know, just talks in Buddhism. And then there was one lady I know, you know, who was one of the organizers, and her passion towards Buddhism, her passion towards learning, is just, you know, cannot be matched. And yet, one day she was absent. And I was quite surprised, you know, that so passionate for dharma. Now I'm talking on, you know, on some very important thing, and she's not there. And, you know, I immediately, whereas if the, the person is a little bit, you know, on and off, then I won't be really, you know, inquiring. Whereas I know the passion the person has. I ask, what about, I think her, her name is Michelle, something like that. What about, oh yes, Michelle. What about Michelle? And she has to go to, you know, pick up her small kids. Look, she's ready to, you know, give everything, even her most passionate thing, for her kids. You know, look. So this is how they sacrifice. And in one of the National Geographic television, you know, program, I saw, I don't know, what is that, water buffalo or what? You know, this one. And then, uh, there were all the, the, the big water buffaloes in the water. And then, all of a sudden, they, you know, they started hearing a scream, you know. They all started just, you know, making their own kind of noise, you know. They started coming out of the water. And actually what happened was that a baby water buffalo was caught, you know by the, uh, the, the, I think, lions. And they were about, they were just trying to kill the, kill the kid, kill the, the, the baby. And they, knowing, that, you know, hearing the scream from the baby, they simply, you know, cannot really dash like, you know, the, the deers and these things. But with a heavy body, they started, you know. And then, finally they met, they, they saw it. And of course, you know, they can really attack these buffaloes. Water buffaloes. So what happened was that then the water buffaloes they were just acting as though like you know they could challenge so well, you know because they see because they they saw the the baby. If they didn't see the baby, they would surrender. But they saw the baby and they were acting as though like they can challenge so well, you know, like as though like fighting going to fight. And then those things the the lions they also noticed you know that oh they were really angry. <laughs> You know, although we can challenge, but still, at least, even if there's slight 
hurt to me, it's hurt. I don't like to have it, you know. <laughs> Although I can kill, kill them, but still, I am still going to be hurt a little bit. So better, you know, better stay, you know, away. And then, the small baby, you know, seeing that she also has the support from there, and then decide almost not at all, not submitting, but withdrawing a little bit. And then she took the chance to run to us, you know? The big ones. Oh, it's so touching. <laughs> Look, you know? So these big ones, they can be easily killed by the lions. But the lions, they got the, you know, the intuition told them that, look, they were really angry. They were ready to give their life, you know? So they are, you know, at least they are going to do something to harm you. Although, of course, they, they cannot kill me, but they will do something and hurt me. So this is what I don't like. I've been both all the time, and if I get hurt a little bit, I would be so, you know, embarrassing. It would be so embarrassing. And then we draw. Look, who, what gave the, the courage to dare and to fight? Simply because of the affection to the small baby. Look, you know, so this is, even as an animal, even as an animal we have been receiving enormous kindness from, you know, one's mothers. Right? So, look, and these animals, they, they don't know what about emptiness. They don't know about bodhicitta. They don't know about, you know, oh, you know, this, this baby will one day <coughs> will repay my kindness. No, no concept of these things. Simply, you know, a sense of affection. That's it. A genuine affection. That's it. And then, again, in South India, what happened was that, you know, uh, the a host of elephants, they one day, you know, came into a field, a field, and then, somehow, you know, there was a big, what, uh, um, ditch, you know, ditch or what, the whole thing, you know, earned ditch, and then all these elephants, when they saw people, you know, people coming to not attack, but simply to, you know, let them go away, <clears throat> then a baby elephant simply fell into that ditch, and then you know, somehow, uh, they all the other they left. Then knowing that there are many people, and then they were using all these firecrackers and these things to to you know to disperse this. And then look, of course the mother elephant of this, you know, it was there. And then the baby elephant was somehow kept in, you know, one house by you know these people. And then fortunately these people they were not there in that house <laughs> that night. That night what happened was the mother elephant came alone to get the baby. That night, imagine, you know, she just, she was able to trace the baby elephant so well. And then, you know, simply smashed all the huts around, you know, with anger. That, you know, for, for hurting, for arresting, you know, this small baby, you know. And she took a baby. Look, even animal, without any intelligence, and we are the human beings. We have this intelligence, you know. So with the help of intelligence, we can expand this compassion, 
and the compassion that exists, even in animals, is just beyond our imagination. So what? If we can enhance it, enrich it by the wisdom, then how infinite can it grow? You know? So just imagine that. Okay, so with that we have to then do this one. Um, meditating on uh, the recording on the kindness of the sentient beings. Just, you know, think about these areas, all these different experiences that you have encountered, you know, how these mothers, they even dare to give their lives, you know, for your, for your survival. So, kindness. And then third, wanting to repay the kindness. You know, wanting to repay the kindness. This is the third step. And the third step, although it's quite natural that if you could really recall the kindness of your mothers, you know, all sentient beings, uh, as your mother, then surely the wanting to repay is going to be quite automatic. But look, we should be careful, you know, by doing this deliberate practice, or oh, I must repay, I must repay the kindness of receipt, the kindness that I received from my parents, you know. If you do that, if you do that, then you know it becomes really alive and so fresh, you know, so well defined. Otherwise, you know, if you simply think about recording the kindness of the mother and don't really stress on now look, I knowing that I know how much affection, love, caring that I've received from my mother. And then, if you still stop there, you know, not deliberately cultivating the desire to repay the kindness, then, you know, it is not really something as strong of feeling arising as compared to your deliberate, deliberately cultivating this wish to repay the kindness. So, what I mean to say here is that we must take the next step, the third step, that is, I, therefore, I must repay the kindness of my mother's dear mother, you know, mother's do it. So this is what we should do. Otherwise, what happens is that, you know, you can have a deep sense of sentiment, deep sense of connection and feeling, but, you know, say, when, you, when both of you are in danger, you know, and then, say, or oh, somehow you escaped, and the other one, you know, whom you know that having been your mother and having, having, you know, given you so much affection and caring and even gave a life to you. But then, you know, when it is a, it is a situation whereby the other person is in a great danger and if you go there, you will be also in danger, you know. And then you feel a great sense of concern and uh, the compassion, but then you really don't dare to go there. This is because we lack the third practice. I will take, you know, I will repay the kindness. But this must be done emphatically. Okay. So, with this third, then the fourth comes. That is, viewing all beings in the light of greater affection. Viewing all beings in the light of greater affection. So here, then I think this one... Uh, you know, it's quite automatic. Again, if you are successful in the third practice, then the fourth one is quite automatic. Again, although it is automatic, but still give a time to it. You know, what it means is that say, say there are hundreds of small kids. You know, uh, some of them who are so smart, who are so cute, so beautiful, so sparkling, and your child is not that. 
But the mother goes there, and of all these hundreds of beautiful, sparkling, you know, shining kids, there's one who's really standing out with ten times, hundred times shining. <laughs> who's that? It's your child. It's your child. You know, it's so different. It's so different. They're radiating. But in the eyes of others, it's not at all attractive. But to you, he's the most attractive. The child is most attractive, most sparkling. You know, in fact, what, although I have no experience of myself being the mother, why I'm saying this is when I was just about, say, eight or nine years old, when I was very small, eight or nine years old, you know, my, I lost my mother when I was only five years old. And so when I was about eight years old, my father, you know, to me, my father is like Richard Gere. Really. You know, I saw him in the light of, you know, someone who's so attractive, something so radiant, something so special. And I thought everyone was seeing, you know, my father in that light. And then one day I was just having a casual, you know, meeting with my uh, aunts. And my aunts, they were narrating about my mother and my father. And then my aunts told me that, one of my aunts told me that, um, your, your, your father... Uh, of course, you know that they were, uh, of, you know, there were seven uh, siblings, you know, in part of this family. And your father is the one with the, the most ugly physical fe- appearance. <laughs> and she was, you know, but she said that your father is, yeah, really very kind. But in terms of physical appearance, she's the most ugly. He's the most ugly, you know. I was so shocked, so surprised. Because to me, he's like Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah, Richard Gere when he was in his 20s or 30s. <laughs> yeah, really, I mean it, you know. And then when I heard it, I heard this from her, oh, what? You know, every time I see my father as a small kid because of this affection, every time I see my father in the crowd, he's so outstanding. He's so sparkling, very different. Now look, then... The similar would be the case. Well, what made it so special is because of my affection to my father. So then if this is the kind of thing that's happening to you know, a small kid towards his father, then what to mention about a mother when it comes to her small kid? You know? So then she'll be just like hundred times more than what I'm seeing of my father. You know, so beautiful, so cute, you know, the most beautiful on this earth. So why? So this seeing, seeing the other side in the light of great affection, in the light of great sparkling, is what is known as the fourth point. Leaving all beings in the light of great affection. So look, if you see, if you start seeing everyone else in the light of, you know, that small kid who is so outstanding, you know, he who seems to be so outstanding, sparkling, imagine if you view all beings in the same light, do you think that you will ever dare to have a feeling of, you know, harming that person? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Do you, you know, even think of, you know, daring to speak something harsh? No, not at all. You know? Oh, it's so funny again. So these are actually, you know, although I'm narrating all these things, but these actually should, you should be able to integrate these into one's practice. You know, this is how real experience can come about. So what happened? Again, 
um, uh, you know, my cousins, they would gather in my room on week on weekends. And then, particularly the uh, the female cousins, you know, when they, as all of the, you know, they have their own uh, sons and daughters. So one would speak, you know, oh, now the examination of, the, the, the school examination is coming, and I'm really worried of my son, you know, how he's going to, you know, perform, and so forth. And the other, actually, the, the other person should be, you know, picking up this, you know, and then simply say something relevant. And the other person, the, my cousin, you know, female cousin B, would say, oh, my son, <laughs> you know, forget about this. <laughs> totally unrelated, you know, oh, my son, oh, he, he's being so careless, I'm really worried, you know. And, and the discussion is not complete. Before the discussion is completed, the third one will say, you know, oh, I'm just wondering, you know, my son, by the name, my son X. <laughs> just, you know, they all simply grows in this world of Tesan, you know. <laughs> just the whole world is Tesan. That's it. Why? It's because of the compassion, because of the affection. They feel the greatest affection, you know, to this child who is so, you know, innocent, at the age of innocence, you know, cute from your perspective. And the most brilliant in this earth, you know, the most shining. So what? Again, this affection. So because of this, you start seeing the, you know, the other person in the light of great affection. So this is what again we need to cultivate. So this is the main thing for for which you know all these techniques is employed. Then the next. Okay, now you come to know that you are successful. If you are able to move this from your mother of this life to a new person to an enemy, then there is no need for you to think of each of the sentient beings individually. If you are successful with the enemy, that's it. Because the person in whom you cannot possibly generate compassion and affection is your enemy. Whereas when you are successful with that, then everyone else, you know, no need to go to each of the individual sentient beings and think about, oh, he has also been my mother, he has been kind to me. No, no need, you know, no need. So then, once you are successful with the enemy, that's it. You can then, the, the compassion, the affection, you know, the, the capacity to view all beings in the light of affection, simply gets expanded all over, you know, all over the universe. So which means, whosoever you see, even a tiny insect, just, you know, a similar flow of affection is there, you know. So therefore, you know, this is the technique. Simply first do with your mother or this life, then switch it to your a neutral person, then to an enemy. If it's successful there, oh, that's a great success. That's a great success. In fact, in this relation, I would say I'm quite successful to some extent because I did this meditation, you know, particularly focused on one person, which I'm not going to, you know, mention <laughs> one person. Oh, I'm quite successful. I'm really very happy, you know, that you know now when I think of that, I think how grateful, you know, I am towards having encountered with this teaching of Bodhicitta. Otherwise, my relationship with that person would have been so horrible, you know. Not only that, by now I, you know, this disparaging like this can, you know could have happened. And then, and while you disparage, if there's joy coming in you, it's good. But it's not the case. 
you know, when that sense of you seeing the other person or hearing someone talking about that person and yourself disparaging, there's a burning anger in you. When there's a burning anger in you, is it happy? No. You don't even like to eat. You don't even like to, you know, even sleep doesn't come in you. So is it a good thing? No. So everyone says, oh, how was your, you know, how did you have your sleep? If you say, oh, horrible sleep, you know? So isn't that, everybody considers the sound sleep is important. But you're not having sound sleep. Why? Because of the swearing anger in you. And why the swearing anger? Because of your misbehavior of disparaging another person. And what caused you? Caused that because of your, you know, of course the other person also, you know, comes, um, plays a role there. Because of being other person, you being so uh, misbehaved, you know, and being so bad to you when you were a very small kid, like that. But, you know, after all, you are the one who is suffering. The other one also suffers. There's no point, you know. So then, because of having encountered with such a wonderful teacher of Bodhicitta, transmitted, you know, from my uh, teachers, which in turn were finally transmitted from the Buddha. Look, you know, so everyone else, else were talking so, you know, disparaging of this person. But I can maintain calmness. I, you know, come and support defense of this person. You know, always saying, oh no, yeah, you're right. But look, this is, you know, his or her personality. So what do you do? You know, so we, there's nothing to blame on his or her, on him or her, you know. So rather, we should be feeling compassion. Because, because of, you know, his or her own behavior, you know, unknowingly, just repelling everyone else, and he or she is feeling, you know, lonely and desolate, you know, and desperate. This means that, you know, he or she doesn't like to have it, experience it, and yet it is of his or her own action that that happened, you know. So we should be feeling compassionate. Look, now he or she is feeling really lonely, and then, you know, I really get the guts to really go in defense. Oh, then there's joy in you. It's incredible. Incredible. Thanks to Bodhisattva. Thanks to compassion. Thanks to the teaching of the Buddha Shakyamuni. You know? So look. So this is how we should be doing. I don't mean to say that I experienced Bodhisattva. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But at least, you know, quite successful with this person. Yeah, you know? Maintaining on generating compassion towards this person. That's success. And similarly, we all can do. We all can do. We all can do. Okay. So, then, now look. Now, now say we are successful in this meditation. We are able to view all beings as though like, you know, your only child sparkling. You know, standing up, you know, standing out, out of thousands of small kids. Like that. But, if they are so happy, you know, what would be your attitude? You, there is a great joy and peace in you when you see those, you know, all the kind mothers happy. But is this the real state of these mother beings? No. Look, they are suffering. They are suffering so much, so much, so much. If you go to the nursing homes, if you go in the elderly, you know, uh, homes, or uh, if you go in, you know, the hospitals, or if you go in, you know, the... <clears throat> Uh, the ordinary people's work life. Oh, they are so busy. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they are so busy, so busy, so busy. Almost like 24 hours. So busy. They don't know what they are really doing. You know, who is really driving them? 
but they form just a part of a big machine which you know without any of your own control the big machine is taking <coughs> in this life of busyness and then no actually in true sense now after this state then we need to examine whether or not these beings to whom you know you feel so affectionate you see them in the light of great affection like your own child are they in real happy state or unhappy state then no they are really in a very desperate very sad suffering painful state you know and in fact the worst of the pain is in fact the root cause of the pain which is they are blinded by ignorance they are blinded by ignorance you know they are deprived they are bereft of the wisdom to see the reality and because of which all these pains they just fall on them one after the other in a ripple form no stop you know so when you see that you know seeing pains in them and particularly the cause of the pain which is the ignorance blinded by ignorance blinded by you know the ignorance and bereft of the wisdom and it is it is as though like you are seeing your child who is blind and now you are wondering what will happen to my child when i'm gone this would be the pain you know simply the pain that you you know the immediate pain that you see in the child of being blind when you think of you know yourself gone and then what the child is going to happen in a happiness child this is even worse this is even more painful to you so similarly you know all beings all sentient beings they are simply blinded by you know the ignorance they are all blind not seeing the reality they are all bereft of the wisdom and unlike the small child who is you know blind sentient and is not curable but the the blindness in sentient beings about not seeing the reality is what is curable you know is what is curable so say when a child you know say you know the child can be protected can be can be protected and yet you know from distance if you can somehow tell the child that you know uh look so don't just go there don't just step the next if you take the next step there's going to be explosion or there's going to be just one you know fire underneath you know so but you're far away and then the child has the ability to to sit idly you know to sit there instead of taking the next step but child is taking steps you know so then what would be the kind of feeling the mother would have the pain the mother would have so painful so painful you know just how i wish the child still stops he stops he stops similarly all beings because of this you know ignorance like this child because of not knowing what is there in front of him he simply steps in you know and then steps towards what towards closer and closer towards the pain the fire so similarly when you see that all beings because of being blinded by you know from seeing the reality and the rest of the wisdom and while having the ability to see the reality you know but they simply keep on going to suffering you know driven by this ignorance 
then the pain in you would be just unimaginably great. It's extremely painful and excruciating. So the point here is that after being able to see all beings in the light of great affection, then your job is to think about the suffering of the sentient beings, and which is of three kinds, the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change, and the conditional suffering. The third one is the world, which is all beings, you know, suffering some sorrow, all because of this, they be under the sway of ignorance, under the sway of not seeing the reality, under the sway of you know being bereft of the wisdom. And then when you see that, then the pain in you simply multiplies, simply multiplies, you know. Then if you are in, if you're not intelligent, then you simply keep on crying, you know. Not doing anything. Oh look, you know, all sentient beings they are suffering and it's so painful, you know. I really you know, wish that all sentient beings are freed and simply remaining that then simply the pain in you will pile up. But whereas if you're sensible, then you try you'll try to look for ways, you know, instead of yourself simply lamenting, you'll try to look for ways to help those sentient beings remove of those pains. Help those sentient beings, you know, remove the cataract of this blindness, cataract of the ignorance, and give them the, the wisdom to the see, see the reality. And once they see the reality there, there's a big fire there in front of me, and then you don't have to tell him. He will not jump there, because he can see it. So likewise, your job is to give them the wisdom, see the reality, and then you are happy, your job is accomplished. Because the sentient beings, then they will, you know, take care of themselves. And not only themselves, they will also help others to give and share this wisdom to see the reality. Now look, at this point, we have to reflect on the suffering nature, you know. And then, after seeing the suffering nature, then there's a genuine compassion flowing in you. This compassion is the next step. Great compassion. The fifth step. You know, great compassion. Great, the great compassion is defined as affectionate, affectionate mental state. Affectionate mental state which wishes all beings to be freed of suffering. An affectionate mental state which wishes all beings to be freed of suffering. This is great compassion. Now, oh, you have, you know, you have developed to that, you know, to a great success. That now you are able to generate this great compassion. And look, we read somewhere there, you know, in um, Companion of the Teaching Sutra, the second, uh, the, uh, the fourth stanza, the fourth para of the important, uh, you know, among the important stanzas. Bhagavan Bodhisattvas should not learn many teachings. Bhagavan, if Bodhisattvas grasp and know one teaching, they will have all the Buddha's teachings in the palm of their hand. And what is this one teaching? It is great compassion. Mm. Look, now we are successful to this great, to this, up to this point. We have been so successful. It is as though like now, all teachings of the Buddhas, thousands, countless of Buddhas, they are simply coming on your palm. Because of this great compassion. Why? Because, if you're moved 
by great compassion. You know, if you see your child suffering with sickness, you will not stay, you know, idly crying, but you will, you know, think of, if you're an intelligent one, then you will think of doing something, you know. Immediately you will pick up the child and take to the hospital, to the best of the hospital, you know, to the nearest hospital, to the best of the hospital, so that the child has to experience the pain less, you know. So likewise, being a very, you know, sensible, sensible one with great compassion. Now you'll not simply remain like this idly. You'll look for ways. Now look, the sentient beings to whom I love so much, they are suffering. I must do something. I have to do something. But the question is, you know, of course, you wish that all sentient beings are free of suffering. But who's going to do it? Then the next step, the sixth one, which is the altruistic intention or the special resolve altruistic intention, which is defined as an affectionate mental state which, which takes, upon the, it takes upon the responsibility of all beings, well, sorry, which takes the responsibility of all other sentient beings upon oneself. Which takes upon oneself the responsibility of all other sentient beings. In fact, look, I'm so, you know, this is such a real life thing, you know, that I was hearing for the first time from our friend Journey. You know, once he came to my room, came to my cabin, and he started, you know, talking to me so uh, openly and these things. And in the course of discussion, I was just, you know, we were just chatting about uh, his school and how he was uh, behaving there and, you know, how he was trying to maintain calmness and trying to go away from the bad company and these things. And he told me, very interesting, so he said, uh, actually, uh, nowadays I don't bully others. He said, nowadays I don't bully others. Instead, one day I saw a big boy bullying a small one. And I thought, you know, he was going to say that he started fighting with the big boy. And he, he told me, I went there and told the big boy, don't bully this, this small boy. If you want to bully, bully me. Oh, look, such a beautiful, such a nice thing. Very young, very small boy. And such a sense of, you know, altruism. You know, such a sense of benevolence. It's amazing, amazing. A real life experience, real life experience. So similarly, now the question is, oh, look, we have already generated great compassion. But, which means that you wish that all sentient beings be freed of suffering. But who is really going to do, take the responsibility? Then you say, I'm going to take the responsibility. You know, this is the sixth step we already did. The affectionate mental state, which takes upon oneself the responsibility of all sentient beings. You know? But look, all beings, beings they are suffering from poverty. And you don't have even a thousand dollars, you know, to help yourself. And all beings are suffering from, you know, not having proper knowledge. And you don't know even quantum mechanics. <laughs> you know, you don't know how to calculate, you know, um, one th- uh, 2,600, you know, um, divide that by five. You don't know that. How can you really have so all the sentient beings, you know? It's amazing that you hear such a thought, but how can you practically help them? Oh, yeah, indeed. Then the seventh step. 
which is the Bodhicitta. Oh, look, that's very true. You know, even if I go there and I shout in the city, you know, I'm going to help you all, but everybody will take you as insane. You know, you know. But that's true. I don't have the ability to help all such beings. But let's see. I, I won't submit. I won't surrender. You know. But still, you know, see if there is something to do with it. And then looked around. Is there anyone who is able to do that? In history, is there, you know, anyone appear on this earth who did that? Who got that ability? He said, yes, yes, there's someone called Bodhisattva You know? Who has all, who has perfected in everything. So basically, if you're perfected in three things, you're perfected in everything. And what are these three things? Perfect love. Perfect wisdom. And perfect potential. Perfect love. Perfect wisdom. And perfect potential. If you have these three, that's it. You're perfected in everything. Oh, there's one with Buddha. Who did that? You know, I see. And can I become one like him? Yes, of course. Because you have this Buddha nature. The wonderful seed. You simply need to you know, clean it. You already have this jewel in you. The Buddha knew. You simply need to clean it. That's it. And then, I see. If this is the real case, then I should become a Buddha. And this is what is known as Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is defined, we already, you know, have the definition uh, written down, but it is defined as a mental, altruistic mental state to become Buddha yourself for the benefit of all sentient beings. Look, this is Bodhisattva. Now we are successful. The altruistic intention to become Buddha yourself, to become, you know, to, for the benefit of all sentient beings. This is Bodhisattva. Okay, so now look, in terms of the practice of Bodhicitta, in terms of the practice of emptiness, oh, it's not something rigid, it's really flexible. Flexible in the sense, you can do this practice, you know, wherever you are. You simply see someone, you know, in pain, you know, you practice compassion. You try to practically try to think of helping. If you cannot help, at least mentally try to send you empathy, you know, and then view the emptiness nature. So these two practices are, you know, what we can do wherever we are. However, don't think that now I don't have to go to the meditation hall anymore. I can do this practice myself anywhere I am. Don't think this way. This again, this, you know, we are deceiving yourself. Because imagine when you are let alone by yourself, how much time do you spend? for such reflection. So, you know, what you do is that make sure that you, you know, sometimes it's not kids. Although your affection is there, affection is so boundless, but you need to make a little bit of rule here and there. <coughs> Without making the rules, the small kid will then behave in any way, and then finally, the small kid will end up, you know, in all these horrible things, and then might have to might, the, gov the government might sentence him to a life sentence, and so forth. It's your fault. 
It's the fault of the mother. Because of this affectionate compassion, but lacking the wisdom. You know? So, the two must combine together. So similarly, we need to have a little bit of, a uh, little bit of, you know, rules and regulations made in order to, you know, in order to discipline this unruly mind, you know. But don't do it to a, you know, extreme. Okay, so what is that discipline? Very simple. Make sure that you do at least, you know, you at least, whether you are in Abbey, whether you are away from Abbey, make sure that you at least dedicate an hour or two hours. You make a commitment, at least one hour or at least half an hour. You know, say so if you're already busy with your schedules, if you're caught up in this big machine, you know, of the this, this city life, where you don't know where you're going, and you still, you know, you're going there, you're eating something, and then, you know, and then again it's all night, and then tomorrow is, you know, early morning, you have to go. So this is how you simply, you know, your life is wasted, you know, in this big, as a part of this big machine, and then one day you become redundant, and then this, this machine will throw you away. And pick a new one, you know. So this is how it works, you know. So better be wise before you have been, you know, thrown away by this big machine as a redundant. You make sure make sure that you make yourself self-sufficient while you're so, you know, energetic. Okay. So wherever you go, make sure that you have at least half an hour or an hour. You make a commitment that I do practice. You know the time separately allocated just for this and then this is you know the commitment and then every now you know when you meet your, with your friends you have some chat or you are in a coffee house you're drinking tea keep on reflecting on bodhicitta keep on reflecting on you know um, emptiness so what happened look once my you know one of my teachers who is also a geshe colleague of his holiness the Dalai Lama you know, a great, great teacher, a great practitioner, and he passed away quite recently. And his students received a teaching from him, you know, uh, I think for continuously for about three years. And um, he used to give teachings to some uh, for the foreigners, and I was translating. And then one day, finally, when the teaching was over, the one of the, uh, you know, one group invited uh, our most respected teacher and me as the translator and the guest for the, you know, or for a meal, or over a lunch, for a lunch. And then, you know, usually, you know, the other guest and I used to be earlier, and then uh, the Rimushi would, you know, would join us, you know, uh, after a few minutes. And then one day, it so happened that Rimushi was there already, and then we were not there. And then I asked if Rubishi, you know, showed up, and he said, he's in the room. And, I, and then I, I thought, you know, he was just feeling boring, and I would go there to, you know, to give company. And then I stepped in, and to my surprise, you know, he was on a chair, and just in meditation. Not wasting time. He was in a few minutes early, so this means that, you know, like this, Ball feeling boring. No, he's not wasting time. He's simply meditating. Such a marvelous example for me. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So happy at the same time. So, you know, deep sense of respect growing. And 
happy, joy, and then I retreated silently. Went out. Again, the second time, you know, or everyone else came, and then I tried to go in there. He was again in the same position, meditating. And then he heard, you know, some come up. And then he was pretending as though he was doing nothing. <laughs> amazing, 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 you know. So look, so this is how we make sure that we integrate our 24 hours in the meditation. Okay, so this is Bodhicitta, and this is what we need to cultivate. Now, the blend of the two. I'm simply going to, you know, count, give the, uh, the numbering or the enumerating the different t techniques, and then um, since that's the detail we already did, uh, I'm simply going to give the enumeration. And then we're going to do uh, the, the two uh, leaflets. So, what you, sometimes what we can do is that we can practice, you know, the sevenfold effect separately. And sometimes we can do the equalizing exchanging separately. And sometimes we can do them combined. Right? So if, you, if you say, if you have quite leisure time, quite, uh, you know, more leisure time, more time on meditation, then you do the, you know, the sevenfold first. And then the uh, equalizing and exchanging. And then the combined. You know? Okay, so now what is that the combined version of these two practices? First one is equanimity. Actually, the equanimity should precede, you know, uh, the sevenfold. Equanimity is not the actually included as one part of the a part of it, but you know this is what is to be done. Equanimity. Equanimity means, you know, so here we are meditating on cultivating compassion towards others. So where is our true relationship with other beings, you know, at present, at present, at least at present, is, you know, something mixed. To some, it's so biased, you are so good, but to some, you feel so, you know, painful and averse, you know, aversion. So there's a, there's a huge gap in terms of your, you know, uh, affection, in terms of your relationship with other sentient beings. So what you do is the first, just as if, the, you know, uh, if you want to construct a building, say if there's, you know, one part of the, the place is so high, other one is so low, how can you construct a building? So what will the constructor do? First, even the land. You know, create the land even. Once land is made even, then on that you can build, you know. Otherwise, if there's something coming up, you know, a huge rock coming up there, there's a huge dish there, how can you possibly construct a house right away? Right? So we have to make the land even. Similarly, we have to make the land of our mind even in respect to how we deal with the sentient beings. We try to cut, you know, cut, eliminate this sense of bias, bias attitude towards others. So, to your close ones, you know, oh yeah, they're right, they are very close ones, I really, you know, we are so close, I feel so affectionate, but think, you know, think, give a give a thought to it. In the former lifetimes, you know, again, just as within the single life, the same person who is your best friend, you know, in other times, the same, you know, the same person can become you the worst of your enemy. Again, the worst of your enemy, another time, can become the best of your friend. So similarly, just, you know, 
person to whom I have a special <coughs> affinity in the former lifetimes. You know, many times they have been my, you know, bad friends, <laughs> not good friends. So, not really that I should be so biased. Why? And the enemy. Uh, so then move to the uh, neutral. Oh, the neutral, I say, you know, I don't, I don't care. No, I didn't have any hostility. But if you think carefully, in the former lifetimes, you know, many times, the, this neutral person, whom I consider as neutral, but many times this neutral person has been my mother. You know, very affectionate and equally very harmful on other occasions. You know, again, don't be so indifferent. You know, if you are to be affectionate towards your mother, actually, in, you should be equally affectionate towards this man. If you are to be angry towards your enemy, you should be equally enemy, angry towards this man. You know, so no bias. And the third enemy, oh, you are right, yes, yes. The person's enemy, he has been, you know, he or she has been so you know, unkind to me. But, this is not always. In former lifetimes, again, this person has been so affectionate, so compassionate, you know, without which I could hardly survive. So, again, this person is not to be discriminated. As you know, the worship of an enemy, may all bad things happen to him, you know, nothing good happens to him. No, this should not be my attitude, you know. So, if you think carefully, these three, there's no difference. Because, it's a matter of say, you know, you're so hungry, you're so poor. And then, ten years ago, there was someone, you know, you, you were so poor. And someone gave you $100 with affection. And then, after 10 years, still you are so poor, and person B comes and gives you $100. You know? So, who is more compassionate? To whom should you be feeling more close? To person A who gave you $100 you know, with affection 10 years ago, and person B who, 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 you know, who gave you $100 right now? with affection. So who is more kind? Same. It's a matter of time. It's just same. The person, unfortunately, he is now also poor. But you, don't, you are not supposed to forget his kindness. In terms of the kindness, you know, the person B who is so rich now, giving hundred dollars, and the person B, A who is so poor now, who is not even, ha even having one dollar now, but gave you hundred dollars, you know, ten years ago, being so kind to you. That's just same. It's a matter of time. So similarly, this enemy has been equally so kind to you many lifetimes ago, has been your mother. You know, so your mother of this life and your enemy of this life, in terms of the, if you think in terms of time, this was just thing. So, you should maintain a neutral stance in terms of your, your attitude. So you are leveling the ground of your mind, preparing for the meditation. So this is not included in the sevenfold meditation practice, but this is the preliminary. We must do this in all occasions. Number one. Then number two is recording all sentient beings as having been one's mother. Number two. Recording every being as one's mother. Number three, recording the kindness. Recording the kindness. Number four, wanting to repay the kindness. Then instead of the next step from the sevenfold, from number four, then you jump to you know equalizing and exchanging. So which which is the next step is equalizing oneself and others. Number five, equalizing oneself and others. Number six, 
Number six, um, reflecting on all the faults of self-centeredness. Reflecting on all the faults, the mistakes, faults of self-centeredness. What is this number? Six. six. Number seven, reflecting on all the good qualities of cherishing others. Reflecting on all good qualities of cherishing others. Number seven. Okay. Um, number eight, you know, uh, uh, extraordinary extraordinary way of recalling the kindness of sentient beings extraordinary way of recalling the recalling the kindness of the sentient beings what is this number eight okay now number nine number nine number sorry uh, extraordinary extraordinary feeling or you know attitude to um, of the kindness of the sentient beings recalling the kindness of the sentient beings extraordinary ways of recalling the kindness of the sentient beings then um then reflecting uh, sorry, okay. Then meditating on compassion by taking all suffering of sentient beings upon you in the form of breath, in the form of, you know, by means of breath exercise, breath meditation, yeah. Re reflecting on compassion by taking upon yourself all sufferings of sentient beings along with the ignorance, you know accompanied or associated with breath meditation. And next, what is number 10? Number 10 is um, reflecting on the affectionate love or the loving-kindness. Reflecting or meditating on the loving-kindness by sending forth all the goodnesses that you have Particularly virtues towards all sentient beings, towards all sentient beings associated with the breath meditation. Number ten, still we're on number ten, which is I already said it. Meditation on the affectionate or the loving kindness, giving or sending forth all goodnesses, particularly the bodhicitta and the wisdom or the virtues towards all sentient beings associated with breath meditation. And number 11 is the actual practice of exchanging. Actual practice of exchanging. Number 12 is the altruistic intention to take the responsibilities, to take upon oneself the responsibilities of all sentient beings altruistic intention or the great resolve to take upon oneself the responsibilities of all sentient beings. Then what is the number next? Good. This is bodhicitta. The wish. 
altruistic intention to become Buddha yourself for the sake of all sentient beings. Okay, right. So, uh, now I think we need to do a little bit of, uh, okay, let me, you know, uh, go with this uh, roughly. So the first point we did, and tell me what's the second point, third point, fourth point. Up to fourth point we did very detailed. What's the fifth point? Sorry? Equalizing, that we did already. What is the next? Okay, so here, you know, after, uh, after equalizing, oh, we are all just equal. Then, you know, the same medita- uh, meditation session, then think, you know, about the force of cherishing oneself. Look, you know, look, uh, what do I dislike? I dislike myself, you know, being, getting sick with all, you know, pains, these things. And then aging, I don't like aging. I don't like death, you know. I don't like people to accuse me, criticize me. But all these are happening. Why? You know, the sickness, aging, death, they are because of negative karma. Negative karma of what? Harming others. Look, this is my self-centeredness. Harming others because of my self-centeredness. So all these dislike, you know, what you dislike is because of my self-centeredness. And then people come to accuse you. People come to, you know, say that people come to disparage you. Why? Because you create, you know, you create a very um, what's inhospitable uh, relationship with the other person, you know, because of your unkind attitude. Again, why un- unkind attitude? Because of my self-centeredness. Again, you see, you know, other beings disparaging and these things, all because of this self-centeredness. Whereas if you're so kind, if there's no self-centeredness, you know, even if somebody comes to disparage you, but there's no sense of, you know, there's no sense of low spirit that's happening. You're so calm. It's so like, you know, a very small kid who doesn't know anything and saying to Einstein that you do nothing. You know nothing, you know. But Einstein, what will he think? Oh, look, he's accused me so much. He's, you know, really, really kind of disparaged me so much. Do you think that he will feel sad? Einstein. Oh he's, oh, he's a real kid. <laughs> he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> you know, so similarly, instead of feeling low spirit, uh, low spiritness, you know, a person can maintain the calmness with confidence. So look, again, why low spiritness? It's because of self-centeredness, you know, lack of confidence. Lack of confidence because of self-centeredness. So we see that all the falls, you know, and not you not achieving nirvana, you not achieving enlightenment, why? Because of your not uh, practicing other, cher- other cherishing. Why not cherish, uh, practicing other cherishing? Because of your self-centeredness. We see all these faults, you not achieving all these good things, or always being endowed, you know, inflicted with all pains. They're all because of the self-centeredness. Then you, th- you simply think about all these points, you know, one by one. Don't simply just a general meditation on this. Simply try to go, you know, each of these points. Each of these points means, you know, why I have this suffering, the sickness, why I feel mental pain, self-centeredness. Why I'm dying, aging, is because of self-centeredness. Why I have not achieved Buddhahood, why the Buddha Shakyamuni, look, now he's experiencing the perfect, the greatest degree of ecstasy, you know, and we are not. Why? Because of our self-centeredness. So keep on, you know, just work, work with these points, you know, one by one. And then there's, you know, when they are accumulated, then there is a, a very profound experience coming in you because of the accumulated experience, accumulated experience of uh, these you know, reflections. What is the next point? 
Yeah, against see what are the good things that you have? What are the good things the Buddhas have? What are the good things the you know the Dalam have? Against see and why these how these are caused? Finally, they will come down to other cherished mind. So these are the benefits of other cherished mind. Do you want these benefits, or you want these gifts from the self-centeredness? You know, all the suffering. No, I don't want these. You know, self, uh, the the sufferings. I don't. I want to have all these benefits. So where do they come from? They come from other cherishing. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, you other cherishing. You know. So what is next? Oh, yes. And then now look. Now seeing this, you see that it is other cherishing. So other cherishing can come, come in you, which is the sole cause of all the wonderful qualities, all wonderful experiences. But how can this other cherish come about? Only if there are others. <laughs> so look, you know, the others are especially kind to you. You know, you should be especially feeling, you know, grateful to them, kind to them. Look, it is, you know, so it's not that, you know, he or she is my mother, but more than that. He's just a sentient being, because of which, you know, I'm able to practice this other cherishing. Because of which, I can achieve all these good qualities. I can say no to self-cherishing. I can say no to all sufferings of samsara. So it's all his kindness. It is all her kindness. It is all the mother sentient being's kindness. You know, you see that. Okay, what's next? Compassion taking upon Good. So this is what I like to speak on. So now look. You are meditating. So now you come to know that, now look, others, they are especially kind to you, you know. We feel a special, very strong sense of, you know, gratefulness to the essential beings. And then, you know, they're indeed so kind. I should repay them, but how to do that, you know, how to do that. But we see whether they are happy or unhappy. Then we, you know, after knowing, after being able to connect yourself to all sentient beings with affection, then you really study the real plight of the sentient beings. We see that they are suffering. They are suffering. You know, so, which we have already explained. And then, you know, in your own, in your own practice, simply imagine all sentient beings, the hell being realms, hungry ghost realms, you know, hungry ghost realms, the, the helping realms, they're suffering from cold and heat, you know, burning and being, you know, submerged in ice and these things, being cut, cutting the body into pieces. And the, you know, the, um, uh, the hungry ghost realms, they're all simply, you know, suffering of hunger, you know, thirst, not getting anything. And then the animals, they're suffering of lack of intelligence. You know, for example, our two cats here, you know, however much, you, you know, venerable children teaches on emptiness, bodhicitta, they don't understand anything. They simply hear blah, 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 that's it. Why? Because they're lacking this intelligence, you know. So the animals suffer from the lacking of the intelligence. And then the human beings, they suffer from mainly, you know, from sickness, aging, and death, and not, encount- and not encountering always with you know, undesirable things and not encountering with what one desires. And the, you know, and, well, okay, so I will not go in length, and then the Deva realms, you know, they have their own problems, you know. So, then we see that, 
we imagine all these beings of samsara, you simply personify them, you know, uh, in the form of human, human beings, where they can understand you, where you can understand them, you know, uh, you know surrounding you, surrounding you, uh, in front of you, particularly in this practice, in front of you. And then, you know, imagine all the problems in the, the manifest state, you know, sickness, aging, death, and then being burned, being cut, you know, in, in eyes, you know, being boiled, and all the things. And then in a practical sense, what we can see, you know, all these in the, the nursing homes, in the hospitals, you know, about to pass away, you know, and ex- with excruciating pain, shout, you know, just screaming and shouting, crying. And then the relatives, they're also in tears. Imagine all these. And then, look, you know, generate deep sense of compassion. May all these problems simply, may all these beings be freed of the suffering, freed of their respective suffering, of the sickness, aging, death, and so forth, you know. And then if you have any particular person who is presently, you have heard of or seen, suffering right now about a die like that, Simply put that person in front of you, you know, and imagine the same thing to that person. May his, his or her problem, you know, be over generous compassion. So with, compa- with this compassion, then as a part of practical you know, practice, you know, simply think of all these sufferings, you know, of the sentient beings, all the sentient beings. You try to suck in, you know, you try to suck in in the form of, in the, form of uh, the rays you know, black substances in the form of rays, and then entering from your left nostril, you know. Then imagine there is the self-centeredness of yours at your heart, you know, which resides at your heart so peacefully. So this self-centeredness, imagine that, you know, the, the suffering that you take in of all other sentient beings, uh, you know, uh, from your left nostril in, they simply in the form of in the form of, you know, very black substances or in the form of scorpions or all these horrible things, they simply consume the self-centeredness within you, you know, and do it twice, thrice, four times, five times. And then imagine, now they are all so freed of suffering, along with the causes of suffering, which is the ignorance, you know, there are no more of the ignorance left, there are more, no more of the evident suffering. And then now, they're clean, they're clean of suffering. Now you give your virtues and you give your good things. The next step, what is the next step? Okay, so now look, now, now look, they're so freed of suffering, I'm so happy. I'm, they're so great, they're so great. Now you wish that they're all endowed with good things. They're endowed with the causes of good things. What you do is that, or at least you have embraced Buddhism. You have got to know about the Buddha's teachings, wonderful, amazing teachings. And then because of which, at least you have just some kind of understanding. You have some kind of practice. Then you try to give all these things, your body, you know, your body, virtue, your body, possessions, virtue in the form of imagination. You try to send them from your right nostril in the form of a white, you know, white rays with all the, you know, everything in the white rays coming out in the form of, you know, uh, say, in the form of food, in the form of clothing, in the form of, you know, happiness, joy, in the form of wisdom, simply standing for them through your, 
right nostril to the sentient beings. Now, not only that sentient beings, they are pure of suffering, they are clean of suffering and the ignorance, they are now being so happy, you know. Now look, not only that we are free from suffering, now we are endowed with happiness. Endowed with the happiness of the wisdom of emptiness. Endowed with the happiness of the bodhicitta. And then you imagine they all become Buddhas. You know, they become perfect. Okay, so what is next? The actual practice is Now look, at this point, now you make a decision. Now look, this is, I'm quite successful. Make a decision that henceforth, henceforth, I'm, instead of cherishing myself, I'm going to cherish others. Henceforth, in, instead of being oblivious to others, I'm going to be oblivious to myself. Or I'm going to say no to myself, cherish mind. You make a very strong commitment. This is the point. Next point. Look, we now know that all sentient beings are suffering in reality. So who's going to take the responsibility? Look, I'm going to take the responsibility. What's, what next? Bodhicitta. How to do that? It's by achieving Buddha yourself. Good. Okay, so now let's go through uh, the leaflets quickly. Uh, the first one is maintaining the mind of enlightenment. Now say you're practicing this bodhicitta. You really admire it so much. We all admire it so much, you know. Although it may not be 100% that we are practicing, but still, you know, we admire it so much. And we wish that it soon be born in you. So now look, if that happens, you know, sometimes we might tend to, you know, get away from it in this life. Or sometimes, it, you know, in future lifetimes, we don't know whether we are going to be, be so alive with this experience of bodhicitta, you know, whether we are going to encounter with this teaching of the bodhicitta. We don't know. Now we make sure that in this life we don't forget this practice of bodhicitta. In the next life as well, we don't forget the, the practice of bodhicitta. How to do that? Maintaining the mind of enlightenment in this life and in the future. Number one. The training in the precepts that cause you not to weaken your mind of enlightenment in this lifetime. Mind of enlightenment referring to bodhicitta. Uh, four practices. First, the training in the precepts to recall the benefits of enlightenment, mind of enlightenment in order to increase the strength of your enthusiasm for it. So for which, you know, we read more Mahayana texts and, you know, read more Mahayana, inspiring Mahayana texts and inspiring biographies and these things, you know, to increase your enthusiasm. Oh, I must generate this mind. Number two, the training in the precepts to generate the mind of enlightenment six times each day in order to increase the actual mind of enlightenment. So which means supposed to be three times in the day, three times in the night, you know. So I'll make sure that uh, we do it. So if we do that, generating the mind of enlightenment, oh, may I want to become Buddha for the sake of all sentient beings. So usually we do that in association with the stanza uh, for, you know, uh, the uh, refuge in Bodhicitta. And third one, the training in the precepts not to mentally abandon the sentient being for whose sake you develop the mind of enlightenment. And don't say that, oh, I'm going to become Buddha for the sake of all sentient beings. But what about Mr. A? Well, he's been so unkind to you. He's exception. Don't do this. You know, it's your sense of, you know, wanting to help all sentient beings without you know, anyone, you know, exception. All sentient beings. It should cover all sentient beings. The worst of your enemies should even come in this fall in this category. Okay, next. Um, uh, the training in the process of, uh, to accumulate the connections of merit and sublime wisdom. But how are you going to become Buddha? You said that you're going to become Buddha. How are you going to do that? The only way by which you can do that is by, you know, uh, accumulating the connection of wisdom and sublime wisdom, uh, the, uh, the merit and the wisdom. And what is this merit? 
the marriage is, you know, the six professions and these things. And the most important marriage is generating bodhicitta. And the wisdom, the wisdom of impermanence and so forth, the, the, the most important of this wisdom is the wisdom which realizes emptiness. So you, you know, pay importance to these two things. Give preference to these two things, you know, collections of merit and sublime wisdom. Number two, training in the precepts that cause you not uh, cause you to not separate from a mind of enlightenment in future lifetimes as well. So there are two parts. One, to abandon the four harmful actions, and one, to embrace the four beneficial practices. So what are they? One, training in the precept, uh, precepts to eliminate the four harmful practices which weaken the mind of enlightenment. The four harmful practices are deceiving abbots, masters, gurus, and those worthy of offerings. You know? So say, if you really, if you, you know, really love your mother so much, then you will always be so, you know, open. You will never keep secrets, you know. So whereas if you keep secrets, this means that you, you are creating doubt within, you know, you too. Through creating doubt, you know, then you don't, you don't, you lose, you know, a sense of trust in the other person. If you lose that sense of trust, you are not receptive to what the other person is to say what the other person should teach you. So if you lose trust in the, your abbots, masters and gurus, then you are not going to be receptive to what they are going to teach you, what they are going to guide you. Which means that what do they guide you in bodhicitta and wisdom? And you, you, you will say no to them bodhicitta and wisdom. This is, you know, uh, so ridiculous. So how to do that is making sure that you don't deceive your abbots, masters, gurus and those kind of offerings. Number B. Making others feel regret about something not regrettable like doing uh, proper practices. So say someone is doing a genuine practice of generosity, practice of ethical discipline, and you say, what is this practice? It's just useless, you know? It's just useless. So if you say that, then the other person, you know, if he's a great bodhisattva, or if the other person is highly learned, it's okay. But if the other person is not that, you know, to that degree, then person might, you know, feel regretted. Oh, I see, what I've been doing is wrong. You know, and then he might, he or she might stop doing it, which means, you know, he or she is stopping himself from going closer to the Buddha, the Buddhahood. So this is a horrible action from your side. In fact, if you do that, you know, then in next life, the result that the rational result that you're going to experience is that is that you're going to be lead encountered with the great masters, because you you know, and you will be lead attached to the practice of Dharma. Okay, so, one thing. Uh, number th- uh, C, uh, speaking disparagingly, etc., to beings who have currently entered the Mahayana. Say someone is so enthusiastic to become Buddha, you know, general Buddha, compassion, and you say, what? Achieving Buddhahood is just impractical. How can you really imagine someone achieving Buddhahood? Buddhahood? Oh, it's, you know, then really trying to uh, speak that, and then the other person, if you know, uh, it, it can contribute to the other person losing a sense of you know desire to pursue through Mahayana. So this is really you are severing, you know, someone flourishing into Buddhahood. So this is so bad we are not to do it. And then um, D in the absence of sincerity, using deceit and misrepresentation then this to get the service of others, which means that you know. Um, simply try to deceive, uh, simply try to, you know, um, to receive services from others, and you try to speak something so nice words and so forth, 
instead you're trying to exploit the other person, take advantage of the other person. So this is what you're not supposed to do. Whereas if there's a sense of sincerity, this is the exception. You know, really wanting to help the other person. Yeah. Say, uh, number two, the training in the precept of, or to adopt the four benefits practices which keep the mind of enlightenment from weakening. Uh, A, forsaking consciously lying, you know, forsaking, consciously lying to any sentient beings whatsoever, even in jest or even for the sake of your life. So which means that don't consciously lie, tell lies. Always abstain from telling lies. So this is remedy to the first harmful practice. B, not deceiving but uh, remaining sincere to all sentient beings. Always be sincere, always be sincere, you know. Never try to deceive anyone. This is remedy to the fourth harmful practice. C, developing the idea that all bodhisattvas are the teacher. So, you know, someone who is so kind, someone who is, you know, so compassionate towards others. You always think of these in the light of, you know, a great teacher. Because it is a kindness. It is a kindness which makes all teachings available to you. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, so this is remedy to the uh, third harmful practice. D. Helping sentient beings not embrace modest vehicles but adhere to perfect enlightenment. Look, say if someone is simply interested to practice, you know, personal liberation, a path to achieve personal liberation, then you speak about the qualities of the Buddha, you know, the wonderful qualities of the Buddha. And then let the other person come to know the qualities of bodhisattvas, the benefits of cherishing, cherishing uh, bodhicitta, and then let the other person feel, oh, there's something missing in my practice. There's something greater than that. Mahana teaching. The teaching of the bodhicitta, you know? So let others encourage others to practice the Mahana path, the bodhicitta path. This is remedy to the second harmful practice. And then the divisions of bodhicitta. Two kinds of bodhicitta according to its nature, aspirational bodhicitta and engaging bodhicitta. So, uh, let me, of course, time is out, but still I want to finish this, <laughs> and this is also very important. Uh, okay, so let's simply, you know, uh, not explain, because there are two kinds of bodhicitta according to its nature, aspirational bodhicitta and engaging bodhicitta. At least you have it, and then you have something, you know, that, oh, I should learn more about this bodhicitta. And don't feel discouraged seeing all these complicated, you know, things. I deliberately did this last night. You know, to make sure that what I taught to you is something like opening, you know. And then your job is to, I see, there are more things, you know. So if it is, if it is you, you know, the more you have, you should be more happy, you know. <laughs> if it is rubbish, garbage, the more you have, you should feel, you know, uh, distasteful, you know. So, uh, this marvelous, you have all many more things, not just small things, you know. So, aspiration bodhicitta and engaging bodhicitta. Three kinds of bodhicitta according to its mode of generating the aspiration are king-like bodhicitta, fairy-man-like bodhicitta, husband-like bodhicitta, and these. And then, uh, interesting thing is, look, uh, the, uh, the 22 ones, two, uh, 22 bodhicittas of the various bodhisattva levels with their corresponding analogies. This is interesting. Uh, look, I will give you a brief explanation, just an overview of this. If you look at the first one, it is earth-like. Earth, you know, and you look. So the first one I'll go in detail. The earth-like is the analogy, you know, the bodhicitta, which is earth-like. And the second one in Atalik, bodhicitta with aspiration, is the, the, the true name of this particular bodhicitta, bodhicitta with aspiration. And in what level this bodhicitta is present, it is there in the small part of the accumulation, you know. So you see, you know, these three segments. So earth-like, it is earth-like meaning, you know, so the earth is the basis 
where we can have all the trees, where we can have all the crops growing, where we, we have all human you know, beings, animals, they can live. So similarly, you know, uh, this first bodhicitta is going to be the basis for all good qualities of enlightenment. It's like the earth. Number two, golden light. Golden light is a bodhicitta, you know, gold is something which, which is not, which is so pure and which always remains in that state, unchanged, you know. Similarly, when you reach the second level of the bodhicitta, you know, then it will never uh, disintegrate, it, uh, sorry, it will never get undermined. It will, you know, keep on flourishing, it will keep on flourishing. Whereas the first one, there is danger, it can, you know, um, uh, it can relapse or it can uh, vanish. But once you get the second bodhicitta, then it will simply, you know, keep on going closer and closer towards Buddha and never will relapse. Third one is moon-like, fire-like, treasure-like, source of jewel-like, ocean-like, virtual-like, mountain. So we see that the first three, one, two, three, these three are there in the small part, in the part of accumulation. Small part, middle part, and the great part of the accumulation. Then the fourth one is in the part of preparation. And then fifth through to, you know, two to fourteen. Fifth through to fourteen, they belong to the Arya Bodhisattvas. Um, bodhisattvas, Arya Bodhisattvas, from the part of seeing, which is divided into ten grounds. So from fifth to fourteen is the first ground, second ground, second ground, third, and you see, you know, the last bit we see that is the tenth ground, fourteen. Now fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. How many of them? How many of them? Five. So these five are there in what is known as, you know, the the three pure grounds, the three pure grounds meaning referring to the 8th, 9th, and the 10th Bodhisattva grounds. 15 through to 19. And then 20, 21, 23, these three, now look, this you need to keep in mind. 20, 21, 23, the last three, they come under, they fall under the Buddha's ground, which means the, the Buddha's, you know, uh, mind. But, I warn you, the 21, the, the 20, the 20th, the 20th one, so this is the preliminary. It is the preliminary of the achieving Buddhahood. It is not the real Buddha's mind. So because of being the preliminary, the immediate preliminary of the Buddha's mind, it is put under the you know the category of the Buddha's bodhicitta. But in, in true sense, this is the you know the last moment of the Bodhisattva's path. So twentieth, we see that pleasant voice life and Dharma celebration. This is the, the, the name of the Bodhicitta. The Buddha's ground, so where, the, in terms of border, it is, there, it is said to be encapsulated under the Buddha's ground. However, it is the preliminary, the last moment of the meditative exercise of the Bodhisattva. Now, 21 and 20, 22, these form, fall under uh, the real Buddha's Bodhicitta, Bodhicitta in the Bodhisattva, uh, the Buddha. Now, my own personal suggestions, the next leaf. Uh, general suggestions for generating bodhicitta are only two main techniques. So, which means that we are, to, uh, in, you know, uh, we need to emphasize on the two techniques, and along with that, you know, what things, what other things that we need to take note of. Anger is the worst of enemy of bodhicitta. You know, I've written that. Anger is the worst of the enemy of the bodhicitta. So we must combat it. And how to combat it? So you study the sixth chapter of Shantideva's text. It is so explicitly, so wonderfully presented there. Number two, always look for goodness in the other person. Again, practical advice, you know, 
So when you encounter the other person, instead of judging the other person, simply look for good things, you know. And everyone has something, you know, one way or the other, there's some good qualities. Always look for goodness in other person. Everyone has some good qualities at least. Which means that, you know, say two persons are talking badly about person C, and you are there. And so instead of joining them, you say, oh, I know you are right, yes. but he's, you know, he's so kind in this respect. At least he's taking some responsibilities. You know, always try to speak something good about that, rather than the bad thing. There's no need for you to, you know, add to it, because there are lots of people talking about the bad things. So there is no need of, you know, um, the additional people. We are lacking people talking good things about others. So be that, be uh, that person. Number three, always be able to say yes when it comes to helping someone, particularly when you're busy, stressed, or under any situation. Don't say, oh, I'm busy, sorry, don't say this, you know. But of course, there are situations we should be, you know, tactful and we should be skilled. But always be warm. If there's warmth, just as the, the mother will not say no to the small kid, you know, will never say no, oh, I'm busy, I have to attend a very important conference. The mother will not say this to a small, you know, to a two-month-old uh, child. So this is what we need to think. Um... Always be able to say yes when it comes to helping uh, someone, particularly when you are busy, stressed, or under any situation. This is the test whether you know you are doing a practice. You will discover this is a great training, and if you succeed, this is great training and thus great opportunity. Try your best not not to say this is not possible because of that. That is not possible because of this. See if there is some some way by which to make it happen. Number four. Always think of the relationship of you and the other person particularly the destitute and the difficult ones in the light of a mother and her only cute small child. <laughs> and number four, always be optimistic and let your compassion, always be optimistic, this is the point. Always be optimistic, oh no, you know, this is so bad, this is all, this will not happen. Don't like that. Always be optimistic and let your compassion and not the external rules govern you. Let your compassion govern you, not external rules. Number six, always appreciate someone attempting the practice of compassion in action. Learn from them. This is a very important point. You know, if there's someone who's really put an effort to increase compassion rather than, being, rather than simply being naturally compassionate, you know, really putting effort to increase the quality of compassion, oh, this is a wonderful person. You need to learn. You need to, you know, take that person as an example. Always, be tried, always try to be as close as possible with this person. So this is how, you know, you can learn. Then, number six, always appreciate someone attempting the practice of compassion in action. Oh, so this what? Number seven, never be content with learning reflection and meditation, bodhicitta, and wisdom of dependent origination, emptiness. Keep on learning, keep on learning, you know, and reflecting and meditating. This is very important. And number eight, never for any cause should you abandon any sentient being. You know, however horrible the other person is, you might have to take appropriate measure, you know, to counteract the particular mistaken action. But don't hold grudge, don't hold resentment against the person. If you do that, your bodhicitta will say bye-bye to you. Right? And once bodhicitta says bye-bye to you, then that's it. You know, everything bad will befall on you. And you don't want like this. Okay, now, the next. Start to generate the compassion mind of bodhicitta if Look, should you uh, practice bodhicitta? 
if, you, if this is question, just see if you seek reliable happiness and want to be at home wherever you might be. If you want to be there, practice Bodhisattva. Number two, if you want a companion at times of fear, sadness, low-spiritedness, if you need a companion to share these things, practice Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is always there with you. You know, he will never say bye if you, you know, embrace it. Number three, if you don't want to be disparaged and left out, practice Bodhisattva. Because Bodhisattva is the most wonderful, you know, mind. Even the Buddhas, they appreciate. And no one else can compare, compare that. So, and the, you know, the, the one which is appreciated the most is always there in company with you. So why should you, why should you feel left out? You know, even if others, they left, you know, they leave you out, but there is greater than that person who left you, you know, who left you out, Bodhisattva. And then, if you want to be enriched with merits and purification, you know, we are striving all these things, practice of the, the merit and purification. You want to do that? Practice Bodhisattva. Everything will simply flow in you. And then, if you need mental strength, sometimes for biological reasons, because of lack of sleep, because of lack of proper food, because of lack of, you know, stressful, because of uh, stressful uh, activities and things, then sometimes, you know, you feel mentally, you know, drained and, you know, you feel so, what? So weak. Again, if you don't want that, if you want mental strength, practice Bodhisattva. Just give you mental strength. And then if you need knowledge and wisdom, again Bodhisattva. So therefore, if you are self-cherishing, practice Bodhisattva. If you are other-cherishing, practice Bodhisattva. <laughs> now, the daily practice, in terms of your daily practice, not you, our daily practice, first of course, refuge in Bodhisattva, then the seven name prayers, you know, and then the four fields of Buddha's teaching, four fields of Buddha's teaching, and then emphasis on Bodhisattva, then next, look, now the, the connection between the fourth and the fifth. After meditating, you know, the four fields, the practice of the four fields, the third one, the four fields of Buddha's teaching, they will, you know, set your mind to reality, you know, the, the reality of where you are, you don't want suffering, you know, you want freedom, and which is the foundation to all, you know, the Buddhist teachings. So there, then you feel that, oh look, <clears throat> genuine freedom, whether for yourself or for others, is to understand the emptiness. The first, it must start with the triggerer, you know, that all composite things are impermanent. What? What is it if everything is impermanent? Oh, because all contaminated things are suffering nature. You know, because if there is impermanent, if there is directed by contamination, then the, the result is going to be suffering. All contaminated are things are suffering nature. But should you worry? Of course, this is a serious thing. But, you know, there is a way out. What is that? You should know the reality. You should, you know, cultivate the wisdom. What is that wisdom? The wisdom which understands the ultimate reality. The third point. Everything is emptiness and selfless nature. This is the wisdom we need to cultivate. What happens if you cultivate this wisdom? Then you will be freed of all the ignorance, all suffering, and you will experience ultimate joy. That is the fourth point. Transcending sorrow is ultimate virtue and peace. You know? So with this, then you see, that, oh, there's a way out. Now, it's, you know, it's not only that there's a way out, you know, I also want all sentient beings to share this. So what can, what can really do this? 
put that into reality, it is practice bodhicitta. Then you practice bodhicitta, which is the fourth point, you practice bodhicitta. And after practicing bodhicitta, then in the end, when you say, look, I have to achieve Buddhahood, you know, the actual bodhicitta after seven point, or the, the economic exchanging, or the blend practice, yeah, I should achieve Buddha, uh, Buddhahood. But how to do it? I must eliminate the obscurations which can come in the way to achieve Buddhahood. What is obscuration? Obscuration to omniscience and afflictive obscuration. How to overcome that? It is by cultivating the wisdom. And then the fifth one is the wisdom. Again, then you then after this, oh, in reality, you know, without cleaning myself, without you know giving myself the utmost quality of the seeing the reality, purifying these two obscurations, I cannot achieve Buddhahood. So I should you know achieve uh, meditation emptiness, dependent origination, for the sake of all these sentient beings. Then you meditation emptiness. Then your practice will become so complete, you know. And then end number six is dedication. That's it. And the virtue that is accumulated through the series of teachings, of course, you know, uh, from my side, I'm lacking all these things. I've uh, the the knowledge, adequate experience, and these things. Still, whatever I receive from my teachers, I wholeheartedly, you know, with a deep sense of uh, genuineness, sincerity, I share this with you. And of course. You know, all of us together, jointly, no doubt, have accumulated enormous amount of merit. And the merit that we have accumulated, may we dedicate this for the long life of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and that he has, you know, no uh, problems whatsoever uh, with regard to his health. And there's a swift in the accomplishing of whatever is there in his um, wish. And that... The Buddha Dharma, which is like the the the, the soul, uh, soul guide um, for all sentient beings towards the the light of the perfect joy and happiness, may this Dharma flourish, and may all sentient beings, may all sentient beings, our beloved, beloved, dear, dear mother sentient beings, they all one day encounter with this find this jewel of the Bodhicitta, the find this jewel of the wisdom of emptiness, and then become Buddhas themselves, and may the world, in real, you know, in true, uh, in true, a sense of the term, may the world really enjoy the bliss of, you know, the bliss of ultimate happiness on the basis of the teach, uh, on the basis of the the teachings of Bodhicitta and the wisdom that we uh, did in you know, all the brief in this. So let's all dedicate this way. And then in the end, we're going to say the uh, prayer for the long life of His Holiness, because the teaching of the Buddha Dharma in this era, in this time, you know, we see that uh, whether or not this Buddha Dharma is really going to flourish, benefit sentient beings, you know, to the maximum, it depends on how long His Holiness uh, lives. So we all dedicate our virtue towards the long life of His Holiness, and that is wishes be accomplished. And uh, I'm really very pleased. With this, uh, uh, with this, and I'm really admirative of Sravasti Abbey's um, curriculum, Sravasti Abbey's uh, sincerity in contributing to the flourishing of the Buddha Dharma, and uh, I can really see a true, a true sense and a vibration of a genuine Dharma flourishing in this, and I genuinely pray that uh Abbey really grow, really grow, uh, grow so quickly in terms of the number, in terms of, you know, 
the practice and everything, which already has a very sound, wonderful uh, seed. Wonderful seed, I can see. And this, of course, is all because of, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the wonderful effort of Venerable Tudenchidunla. So, uh, we all should be feeling so grateful to her and um, her practice, her knowledge, and her, her you know, the vision, these things, is just incredible. So, I wish and I pray that Srabhasti Abbey will soon grow to um, a wonderful example, you know, to the, the rest of the monastic, uh, the, the monastic institutions in the Western countries. This is my prayer.